Dune. Dune. Welcome to Hardcore Hooligans. Guess what we're reading today? We're reading Dune in the movie that's not coming out anymore. Oh my god. These fucking actors and writers and their damn fucking strike are pushing out my are causing <laughs> yeah. CEOs to be greedy and pushing out my sci-fi movie. Come on. Think about me, the consumer. <laughs> the consumer's king. The consumer. Whatever happened to the customer's king, huh? <laughs> the customer's always right. Hmm? Customer's king. Release Dune 2 on time. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, as of this podcast coming out... We have scheduled this to coincide with the original release date of the Dune movie, um, but in continuous hardcover hooligans tradition of we try to do something and then it fucking ruins our lives. Here, here the, we are again. Here we are again, and the Dune movie is moved to next spring. But we're still reading this anyway. Hey everyone, so it's Danilo from the future. The writer strike is now over, and they won, which is great news. However, it still seems like the second Dune movie won't come out till spring of 2024, which is a big blow to the SEO of the Hardcover Hooligans podcast, but uh, we'll survive. Uh, anyway, as of right now, the actor strike is still ongoing, which we just want to say that we fully support. Just thought that was important to say. Anyways, back to the show. But at least you know it. it at, at least it's not like we we missed foreign TV show or something was coming out, and we read all these books, and then it's not coming out anymore. And then we just really. <laughs> at least this book is is good. Right. At least there is you know something here. <laughs> Could, is it possible for us to do one episode without mentioning Miss Border Brandis Anderson? I don't think so. No, I think it's intimately part of our uh, our terrible history yeah I've it's been, what, it's I what think... began we've built this house on cursed <laughs> blocks you know all i think seven listeners we have for every episode now but <laughs> hey shout out to you guys hey yeah shout out thanks for listening all right so we read the first half of the novel dune by frank herbert published in 1965 it's a weird novel to split in half but yeah. it's basically right in the middle. A sort of it but it happened it's like where the movie is, it's before the end of the first movie. It's not uh super behind the f- ending of the first Timothy Chalamet movie, right? Cuz it's Mm-mm. it's everything besides them meeting the the Fremen ha- yeah. has has happened. Yeah, this is right before they meet the Fremen in the desert. So Mac, what was what has been your experience or knowledge of the Dune universe? I know you've seen mm. the movie. The Dune universe. <laughs> copyright, copyright that. Copyright <laughs> that. Copyright, yeah. Write that down. Write that down. Yeah. So, what is your relationship with Dune? So many many moons ago, I um I have tried to read this book a lot, and did not bounce off it for the reasons I I feel like are. I didn't think it was hard to read. It was just like. Every time I tried to read this book, it was at a point in my life where I did not have the time to devote to reading this. To and, deal with all the crazy sci-fi nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> read about like the Chome I, company. You're like, I don't have time yeah, for this. And, and I don't know what that means. Because <laughs> I, I, like, I like that stuff. I like when books do that. So 
Um, but you know, I just kept bouncing off it for literally like probably by now, like 10 years, Wow, <laughs> which is, is very funny. Um, and then, and then I had seen, uh, I, I had a roommate who enjoyed, uh, uh, Dune a lot who had read the book and he was really excited about the movie. So we watched the movie together, the Timothy Chalamet one, because mm-hmm. I'd seen clips of the uh, David Lynch one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Im- infamously a terrible movie. It's, um, fu- it's fun if you like Dune. Right. Yeah. And now more fun that it's no longer the only visual representation <laughs> of this good book. But yeah, that's so all I knew was from the basic like structure of the book and that it's the foundation for, you know, that star Wars does not exist without Dune and that, uh, and that the first movie was bad. But other than that, I didn't know really any of the specifics. The David Lynch um, movie, of the not story. the first Timothy Chalamet Right. Movie. Yes. Yes. The I think David a lot Lynch of people movie. call it the Denis Villeneuve movie because he made the movie. Timothy Chalamet did not yeah. make. <laughs> well, no, that, no, I don't think no, so. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think he directed, directed, wrote, 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 directed. Yeah. wrote, directed, directed. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know a ton about it. I just knew that it was like an ecological science fiction novel. Cool. That's all. I didn't know the specifics. What about you? You have you have read this before, obviously. I have. I read the... it in high school, and I. Sort of didn't understand what was going on. Fair. Um, and then sort of after the fact, you know, I like pieced it together by poking around the internet and stuff. And then I tried to read the second one and that didn't make, that made even less sense to my teenage brain. And then that was really about it. And then I had a friend a couple years ago who really liked him. I think he read all of the Frank Herbert ones. And then we played the board game. Yes. Yeah. I knew you, I knew you had played the board game and then like, isn't, it literally in the board game that's like don't play this if you haven't read the book yeah because you say that to me i think i yeah i told you that because (laughs) if you play the board game and have not read the first book like events in the board game happen that are spoilers for what happened in the book oh that's awesome that's so cool (laughs) which is very cool um and then i saw the timothy chalamet movie and i loved it (laughs) thank you yeah i i uh i have I have an interesting relationship with that movie because I watched it. I used to be a bartender and my friend was waiting for me and I didn't get off shift until like two in the morning. Oh boy. So I watched do the first Dune movie at, it's like three, three hours long. I watched, started at like 3am to 6am or something <laughs> ridiculous. So, Christ. so it was in like, I felt very much like, uh, I was on this planet with these characters. <laughs> it felt real to me. Real, real. As far as I'm concerned, it's a documentary. And so, so loud. <laughs> I'm just, I'm assuming it was yes, so incredibly loud. loud. My brother saw it in the movie theaters, and um, I think he said he told me this that he, there's like moments where he had to like put his hands over his ears because of that that like sting whenever uh, uh, there's those dream sequences. Yep. <laughs> it's so fucking loud. So enough about this uh, movie because we all know movies are trash. Let's talk about a book. You know, yeah, books are yeah. better and more highbrow. So. Uh, what were your vibes reading the book? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I I I liked it a lot. I think um, it's not uh, really what I was expecting, hmm. which was both good and and bad. I feel I know we try to be you know on the hardcover hooligans podcast. We try to be vague. Now we've learned our <laughs> lesson. We try to give a vague summary and our thoughts before we dive into spoilers. Um, so without giving it really anything away, I thought that. 
the first half of this first section was pretty boring. Interesting. And then I thought the second half of this section was fucking awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, and I and I didn't know if like. <laughs> I don't know if we gave like a 2023, you know, you know, uh, who, what? Oh yeah. It's penguin, like an editor who works at, at a random house. Um, if we gave them editorial control over this book, I bet a lot of stuff <laughs> hits the cutting room floor. And I don't think we really lose a lot, which is, I think why they were able to squeeze it into one three hour movie. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I, you know, I came away from this book, largely really enjoying it and not wanting to to i was upset i had to stop at the at the halfway mark i really wanted to keep going you're so upset you threw a tantrum and left me a voicemail where you cut me out right (laughs) see i did yeah i did (laughs) i sure did and that's all we'll say about that (laughs) uh so then let's just dive into uh what happens how how did you feel about oh i know you just said you liked it but any 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 thoughts our feelings different from the uh, first time. I was great to know what was going on. You know, <laughs> my is that just because you know self. the lore better, or you just are okay with being confused now? I know the lore better. Like I feel like I. It sounds weird to say, but I feel like I knew the story pretty well, even though I'd only read the book officially once. Sure, it's not. This is going to sound fucked up. It's not a complicated story. <laughs> no. It's like it's like the the themes and the messaging and the huge like political implication of this book which we will definitely talk about that's mm-hmm. the confusing part but like the plot is not confusing mm-hmm. because it's star wars yes so <laughs> let's get into the summary of dune so we start on not dune but the planet caladan which is a planet that is wet not dry. All right, we are, meet our... are you with us, folks? <laughs> <laughs> it's I bet it's the opposite of what you were thinking. <laughs> I know it's called Dune, but, but just wait, wait, with... just just hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't change the channel. All right, we meet our main character, Paul Atreides, who is the heir to the House Atreides. His father is Leto. Atreides and his mother is Jessica Atreides. I don't know if her last name is actually Atreides. No, because she's not. Because they're no, not married. Yeah. And his mother is Jessica. And we begin with a scene. I was typing out my notes, and there's like a lot. Of, like, it's going to be a lot of just me saying lore because sentences and things make zero sense unless yeah. they're explained. There's a visit by. Jessica's old teacher, uh, the Reverend Mother, Helen Gaius Mohayim the Fourth or something. And they are Bene Gesserit, which are like they're crazy space nuns with mind powers. And the whole idea is that the Reverend Mother is here to test Paul. She's gonna make him put a hand in a box, and if it's gonna give him lots of pain. And if he withdraws it, he is like an animal. But if he keeps it in there, he's human because his conscious mind is able to override his animal instincts. And spoiler alert, he does it. Yes, this book is not 10 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so this is a first big scene, you know. 
feel like we could talk we could talk about this scene for a little bit here. Yeah, it's it's uh, almost a classic because like even if you read, yeah. even if you don't finish Dune, you've at least gotten this far. Yeah, because it really is like I think this whole thing is like nineteen pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, so that I, I appreciate that you said that because I don't know if when I was reading this I missed it because they don't. Does she say like if you take it out, you are you it? Because she says we're testing if you're human. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, because okay. later <laughs> they talk about all about how like there's not uh, computers anymore, and you know whatever Dune lore, you know who cares. Mm-hmm. But I was a uh, not everybody takes this funny quiz, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just him because they think that he might be the. Uh, Oh boy, I have the Quizots Hadarak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is <laughs> that a crazy he... word? So that's basically like, all right, here we go. The Bene yeah, Gesserit, yeah. the space nuns. Part of their deal is they just seem like innocent, crazy space nuns, but really, they have infiltrated all the royal houses in the universe to sort of be able to control the breeding of the noble houses in order to produce like their chosen one like their super guy and they're all women and the 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 quizots hatterack is prophesied to be a man and he's the and that's like the the person of ultimate truth or whatever yeah like is that- there there's lots of lots of different people in this book and universe have quote unquote chosen ones and that's, I think, sort of part of it. And this is sort of the chosen one of the Bene Gesserit, which is like one political faction in this novel. And the chosen one, and this is like already we are starting to see it, is a man mm-hmm. in this society of of women. Yep. Uh, the secret society of, of women. Uh, and we'll, so the... <laughs> this is already like right away what I'm sort of talking about when I say like if if Dune is trying to be like a work of pointed political science fiction, it really front loads you with a bunch of lore that in the <laughs> in the scheme of like the message of the book is not important or like it is there to build like a science fiction universe and is yeah. not so much about like <laughs> climate change, which, <laughs> which or is like it's one. This is one of the things this book tries to be about, and I want you know we'll see once we've read the whole thing how this sort of fits in. But like off the bat. You so if you're if someone recommended Dune to you, and they're like, okay, there's a crazy desert planet with spoiler alert giant sandworms and this drug that makes your eyes blue, and your first scene is yeah. space nuns with needles on a wet planet. You're like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really wild first scene that uh you know and and, and like. Paul sucks. Like he's a whiny brat. He's like fifteen. Yeah, and and it's it's a wild introduction. Like it's 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 pretty pretty brave. You know, Mm -hmm. I I respect it a lot. I I I don't know if if I was maybe editing this book, I'd keep all of this stuff. But I do really like the the brazenness of it. And I really think it's just a roundabout way 
of being like, hey, this kid Paul might be something special. Like, that's really right. the whole point of this chapter. Because he passes this test, and the Reverend Mother is, like, mad at Jessica for having a son because they're so in tune with their body they can control, you know, the sex of their child. Um, because she thinks she won't... The Reverend Mother thinks that Jessica... <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Reverend Mother thinks that Jessica is like trying to think she's so full of herself because yeah, she yeah. can give birth to the quiz that's Hatterack, but really she just loves Duke Leto and wanted to give him a son basic to pass down the Duke dumb, I guess. So that's chapter one. <laughs> yeah. Also the, there are no official, like <laughs> for just reading the book, there are no chapters there. I mean, they, there are certainly, mm -hmm. but there's no like chapter headings. It's just like suddenly on this page, there is a diary entry from a character we've never met and <laughs> a new chapter begins. Well, so we can talk about that. Uh, the epigraphs, each yeah. uh, chapter begins Good with epigraphs. I think, yeah, as they're opposed not to crazy lore dumps. <laughs> well, they are crazy lore dumps, <laughs> but I think that they, that they, the way that they're framed work because they're all right off the bat, a spoiler pretty much. Yeah. Which I, I, I do like. And they are from ostensibly a book or books written by someone called Princess Irulan about someone called the Muad'Dib. Mm -hmm. And if you're from, you know, you know, folks, if you're from Arrakis, you know that means mouse. I mean, <laughs> let's just cut to the chase. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, know that Muad'Dib means weird means little creature. Come so on, why guys. is this princess writing about a mouse? Well, you know what? Uh, We're going to find that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dune. It's a wet planet about a mouse. <laughs> and, and how exactly did this mouse start a universe-wide uh, revolution? <laughs> well, that's what this book is about. It is what this book is about. <laughs> um, so a couple more notes about just the world at large. It's a There's a galactic empire, and there's an emperor... And he's sort Stop of his, us if you've heard this before. <laughs> he's an emperor, and he's powerful. And there's also these houses uh, who, who they don't work together. They all fight, uh, but they there's like a council of houses called the Lancerot. It's like a senate almost. That the idea is they keep the emperor in check, and the emperor keeps them in check. And that's part of the political situation on in this universe. So going off of that, another house, the bad guys, are called the Harkonnens. And we are introduced to our main villain, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. And this scene uh, is incredibly fatphobic. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Yes, so... Uh, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen is incredibly fat. <laughs> yeah, and I get the metaphor. Well, we'll talk about the whole scene, but I get the metaphor, but it's like, boy, does Frank Herbert want to remind you that he is a rotund gentleman. Uh, and that being fat is bad, because... Yes, <laughs> because that means you're greedy. Yep, yep. It's not, it's not, not super subtle. Uh, no. And he has, like, um these floating things in his sides to help keep his weight off the ground because he is so rotund and they got a and they got um what's his name what's his stellan skarsgård yeah it to play him a mm -hmm. uh, uh and can you know can you just imagine getting that casting call it's like we've chosen you to be the uh 
giant disgusting man evil bad guy you know i'll i'll say it i don't think stone sarsgaard is fat enough in the movie and that was the no. point of contention <laughs> i don't think he is either uh anyway so in this chapter the second chapter all the bad guys talk about their bad guy plan <laughs> yeah, they, they do and oh, like boy. very pointedly so uh, the baron has two guys with him the first is a mentat his mentat put a put, put a note in there put a note in there we'll be right back named Peter DeVries. And a Mentat is a human who has been trained specifically to function as sort of like a human computer. Because in this universe, 10,000 years ago, there was a huge robot war that humans uh, almost lost because they made AI and they sort of made it illegal to make computers. Which sounds fucking sweet. Which I think is very... about. Yeah. Very cool. That'd be awesome. Is there uh is are there any prequel books about that war? Honestly, I don't know. That'd be pretty sweet. Untapped goldmine, perhaps. Maybe we write the first one. I think it's we'll we'll get into this later. There's funny. I think there's fun things that like sci. There are sci-fi creations, um, sci-fi explanations to keep it super fantasy because this book does feel like pretty fantasy-esque with like the houses and the war and like sort of crazy magic mind powers um and this is one of the things like if there were computers figuring this out or robots like this would all be over in two seconds but because it's all humans that sort of keeps it in the realm of you know human flaws and stuff but so the mentats aren't magic the Bene Gesserit are literally magic not, I, I say magic facetiously. Benny Jesser oh, are technically not magic. The idea is they're they're so like highly trained and in tuned with their bodies and like with certain psychological tricks and techniques that they have what basically feels like magic. Okay, so like, when it doesn't, it doesn't later, actually it won't actually work what they're doing in real life, but it's sort of it explained right. as they're just so good at controlling so later i'm getting way ahead of myself mm-hmm. but jessica jedi mind tricks um a creepy murderer yes that is not actually magic it's just her being very like seductive and persuasive yes so there's later in the book there's a Bene, oh. there's a Bene Gesserit thing called they call it the voice and it's basically like yeah if they use it and they like get in tune with a certain frequency that your brain responds to they you can say something in a certain way in a certain tone that you can you will listen to what the command is and you will do it for like a short amount of time or for like one command so it so, is science fiction magic but it's yes. not like they're casting spells yes okay all right i all right is that what you meant? i was unclear okay yeah because because i didn't know because I knew about the voice from the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew it from because it's the Force from <laughs> Star Wars. But uh, I didn't know if if later when that happens, if like because they talk about being so psychologically attuned, but I didn't know if it meant in like sort of a metaphysical way. Uh, oh no, that's I think good to know that. I think it's supposed to be like they can just control their body. So like she's cool. able to like this fetus will be a son. Right. Like they can, they're so in tune that they can like control that. Nice, cool. Um, so back to the Harkonnens. Uh, their big plan is okay. Here we go. Here we go. You got it. House Atreides 
is being sent from Caladan to the desert planet Arrakis, a.k.a. Dune. The Emperor has said, hey, hey, Harkonnens, you don't get to be in charge of this planet anymore and reap the profits. The Atreides have to do it. And because he's the Emperor, they have to do it. But on the backside of this, the, the scheme is that the Emperor doesn't like House Atreides because Duke Leto Atreides is too popular. And so he's putting him in charge of this very high-value, high-stakes planet. And the plan is that the Emperor is secretly scheming with the Harkonnens so that when the Atreides take over the planet, the Harkonnens can, like, come in, can like sabotage it come in quick and wipe them all out and why is the emperor uh talking with them or, or uh, planning with them is it so that he can also make money off of the off of the planet i think it's because duke leto is too popular like the emperor is not like a nice guy or super popular so like no, he he's christopher sees, walken he sees duke leto as a threat yes played in the movie by christopher walken which i will never forgive them for for i want to see it so bad <laughs> <laughs> and the emperor's personal warriors are called the sardaukar and the idea and? is and they're from a scary pri- they're like uh, horribly they're... <laughs> brainwashed f- prisoners yeah they're like fanatic soldiers who are all like trained on a v- specific planet to serve the emperor and you might be hearing if you're a if you're a nerd you might be hearing this and be like hey this just sounds like star wars and warhammer 40k and you'd be <laughs> right <laughs> because it is just those two things the Emperor uh, has an first. army of a bunch of strong people made on a separate planet <laughs> yes. just for him. <laughs> yes. Hmm. That they revere as a god. <laughs> Interesting. For my god emperor. Well, I wonder if there's a book in this series called The God Emperor of Dune. Dune? I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. Should that be book three? I don't know. <laughs> but this is all cool lore. It's very cool. The reason Dune is valuable is because it is the only place in the universe for this pl- this resource called spice and the whole point is you harvest spice from the desert and they export it um to the universe because it's and they a use drug. it as a drug they ever like everybody uses it. it's not like also f- fuel it's like only drug yes it's a drug whose okay. sort of value and side effects become more uh apparent as the book goes on because I think I, it took me forever to figure out, like, what the heck this thing is. Also, I like, part of it is, like, once you're addicted, you can't right. stop because you'll yeah. die. Because, like, the Fremen can't leave Dune or they'll die. Because mm-hmm. it's not really up to them whether they do it or not because it's literally in the air. So just, like, breathing it, you are high all the time off. Yep. And it's, like, spice in the melange. food. And, yes, it's called spice or melange and we've said fremen a couple times fremen are the desert people yes they live in the and they're they're initially set up um almost like by ever by everybody in the book as being like dirty terrible uh uh warring tribes of like who live in the desert right primitive um, yeah again not not subtle but but i think the book does a uh, because i've talked to people who um 
I think this book does have problems and we'll, and I and I and I want to talk about them. But I think that people read like the narratorial voice describing the Fremen mm-hmm. and think that's how Frank Herbert feels about the Middle East, which is not true. Like, no, because I think that's how the characters who that's how the bad guys think about it because they don't know anything about them. Like yeah. part of the book is oh they think these they're these desert people and there's like a couple tribes of them and they sort of suck and we leave them alone but they don't really have any power but then gradually it's revealed like there's a lot of them they have their own culture they're fighting against the occupying force etc etc and i think you know duke leto is also like well we can use these people for our war machine and like mm-hmm. the book sets him up as a good guy so then you're like oh am i supposed to think this reader listener you are not supposed to agree with duke leto on everything <laughs> i hope not he's really mean to his wife <laughs> so uh so and yeah but the yeah oh and so sorry, duke, duke leto is not an idiot he knows that this is sort of a trap but he also just can't say no to the emperor um but he thinks he can get out of it because you know he's smart and He's like, oh, you know, I think there's more of these Fremen that are letting on so we can make a treaty with them and use them to fight off the Harkonnens. He's kind of smug. Yeah. Kind of arrogant. That sounds like a lot of setup, dear listener. That's because a lot of this is a lot of setup. (laughs) Yes, it is. So next, I mean, we can just talk about the characters and then talk about what happens. Um, Yeah. We meet Thufir Hawat, who is the Mentat for House Atreides. Um, he's sort of in charge of security and assassins and everything and make sure everything's safe when they get to this planet because in this universe everyone is trying to kill each other all the time and we meet my favorite character in the book Gurney Halleck Gurney Halleck the bard <laughs> sort of the uh, the uh, school of swords uh, level 5 bard of course <laughs> And Gurney Halleck is Paul's teacher, and he plays the guitar and fights with swords. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. And he's <laughs> and also constantly him. being described as ugly, which is hilarious. And uh, <laughs> and he, he has like a weird scar on his mouth from something called an ink whip or a whip vine or something like that, I right? I remember. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff. They keep describing it. And it keeps describing like as it almost like moves around his face when he like smiles. And I didn't oh, know if that crazy. meant like... That meant just like how like a scar can move up and down mm. on your cheek, or if it was being literal. And I think it's vague on purpose because it's kind of cool. But another important uh, lore part here is revealed when Gurney Halleck is training with Paul, and that is the use of shields. So a shield is you wear a little belt and you press a little button, <laughs> and it's basically an impenetrable force field that covers your entire body. Um, and nothing, no things can go through it, but just slowly so if like someone shot you with a bullet it would bounce right off but if someone like took a knife and like slowly stabbed you it would go through the shield so that's sort of how they explain (laughs) there's no gun there's not really any guns they can all this is another uh science fictiony way to keep fantasy things like sword fighting being the primary yeah. method of warfare in a sci-fi but it's book. sort of like it also brings up a goofy problem you wouldn't have which is like whenever people are sword fighting whenever they're about to deliver the killing blow like suddenly they have to be really they have to be really slow, slow to get it. through the shield and yeah. i think it's really silly like they're, when they're fight there's like a moment where paul and gurney are fighting and like that happens and it's just mm-hmm. like the goofiest 
image in my head. I can't never. It always makes me giggle when like they're sword fighting and the fact that it needs to be slow is brought up. It's cool when it's like uh, when it's whatever that little um, murder drone thing. Yes. So Paul. So they get to do. They get to Desert Planet and they're yeah, believe it or not, we're finally here. <laughs> and they're trying. They're like getting everything set up and everything. And in Paul's bed, a little uh, remote control killing device appears and it's like and it is remote controlled by um oh the in the we should go back in the bad guy plan um the the house doctor oh, is yeah. like their uh their industry plants <laughs> their <laughs> their uh, man on the inside dr uh, yui and this is not important but like doctors in this world can't be mind control or whatever kind of important because so he the doctor is like part of this super special school where like they can never betray anyone ever they're like trained they're like conditioned biologically to never be able to take a human life you know through their actions so like even if they betrayed someone oath yep they literally can't except this guy who can and so the idea is that the Harkonnens, through a crazy like linguistic loophole, have broken the conditioning of the Atreides doctor because they like have his wife. Oh, and and they and he can't let his wife die. Yes. So he's gonna, but he's gonna ki- but he's gonna kill, or he's not. He's gonna deliver somebody to. By they have his wife, and by not letting, by. And they say, like, hey, if you don't do this stuff, we'll kill your wife. And so because of his conditioning, he has to do all the stuff, they say. Which, when we explain it, seems like an extremely extremely obvious loophole. (laughs) It does sound like a pretty obvious loophole. Uh, And also, the reason I said it's not really important is because when when everybody knows something fishy's going on, they do bring it up. They're like, well, it could be Dr. Yui. And then don't really talk about the fact that, like, he can't kill anybody. And they're just like, well, I guess we don't know. And so it's like... Well, they, they... No, they bring it up. They bring him up like, he could be the traitor. And they're like, no, no, but he's conditioned, so he won't be. Like, they always bring him up to dismiss him. Right, but the, but it's like, I don't know, man. It's the fucking... It's like 20,000 years of the future. <laughs> like, why, <laughs> why are you so sure? Uh, but, oh, and this also, if you've only seen the movie, this in the movie is a plot twist. Uh, right? Am I right about that? I don't remember. I think in the... Mo- I could be wrong about this, so I'm really sorry if you're listening and you're, and you're, and you're getting mad, but I remember... I could have also just been tired, <laughs> but I remember <laughs> Dr. Yui's reveal as the bad guy being a plot reveal, and uh. in this book, it is not. It's dramatic irony that you know that uh, uh, he's the, uh, he's the man on the inside. You know immediately. His first thought is, I'm going to betray them, and I feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. He does feel very bad about it. He brings it, it up constantly. So, a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah, uh, we could probably honestly. I don't know how much we need to spend. It's really just stuff happens so that you learn more about this world, basically. Yeah, which, which we can talk about in a vacuum. We don't need to like go over the. We don't need to talk about their air, their like plane ride. Yeah. So basically, they're trying to get the. Tr- House of Atreides is trying to get up, get set up on this planet. And through that process, we are exposed to lots of different things. One is 
the imperial planetologist kinds he becomes like an important too. character uh he is the judge of the change which he's supposed to be the neutral overseer of the change between the harkonnens and the atreides and he's he's uh oh what is it there's something with him too right where it's like He's the Imperial Planetologist, he's the judge of the change, and Paul also clocks right away that he is, like, intimately aware of Fremen culture. Yes, so he's part of this half, is, like, he's sort of become half Fremen. Like, he's become a leader in their society, and he keeps it on the DL. Well, he has blue eyes, doesn't he? Yes. And I think it's implied to a certain extent. Almost anyone who's been on the planet for any length of time starts to starts to have blue eyes. Oh, do they all have blue eyes? I like does Paul? I think the new people uh, don't, but I think if they stayed long enough, they would. Yeah, I'm not sure. We also learn about the importance of water in this planet because it's literally all a desert, and so water, in addition to spice, is a main resource. And uh, source of power. And so it's used for all the things that sources of power are used for. Flaunting wealth. There's these palm trees in the palace that, like, require the water a day of, like, ten people. Oh, yeah. I like that part. There's a part There's a part where they talk about the palm trees and how it's, like, there's, like, 60 people watching or whatever. And there's, like, six palm trees. And then mm-hmm. I think it's Gurney is like, hey, isn't that fucked up? If we got rid of those trees, we could feed all those people. Yeah. And then someone, and then someone says like, "Oh, but they also see it as a source of like hope." Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Or do they really? Or are you just projecting? Or are you just your... saying them? <laughs> yeah, because right away we get a lot of. Let's just talk about themes for a minute, because beca- there's a lot of like <laughs> the white people came to the desert and are stealing the oil water from the, the all the natural resources from the people who who live there and are making the uh country planet a much worse place for it and uh benefiting from it yes yep um a lot of like imperialism and colonialism going on um where the book gets like i think people who read it and and come away thinking that it's you know uh a novel about a, a white savior uh, think you're supposed to like the Atreides family. And I'm not... You're not, I don't that's think. A, yeah, that's a simplistic way yeah. of looking about it, you know? Like, I think... It's just like a complaint. It, it's a complaint that I think, like, it is fairly leveled against the first movie. Like, the movie that's out. Because there is mm-hmm. no second part. And in that movie, he is a white. Like, <laughs> that is what that movie is. Because there is no... Con- like, in the realm of the film, there is no context for it not being that. Um, but the book does provide... Because we have a narrator the whole time. And Paul being, you know, in the movie, like, from, like, 10,000 feet, yes, he's, like, the main hero. But, like, in the process of reading it, like, it is more complicated, or at least it feels yeah, that book way. The book definitely feels a lot more complicated than the, like, complicated politically than the first half of the 
or part one yeah. of these two movies do. That's mm-hmm. for sure. About Paul and all these characters who are on this planet and how like the reader should feel about it. Not like, yeah, Paul, go get revenge. You yeah, know, no, it's especially not... in the second half of when Paul, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> unlocks his latent <laughs> abilities pretty pretty f- turns into a pretty frightening creature right away and it's surprising to me that people read this book and are like paul's a good guy i'm like i don't think so <laughs> i think paul might be the worst guy in the whole book <laughs> well we and we can talk about this when we talk about like the the book as a whole or like this section as a whole but i think part of the issues that people have with the book is that like i think frank herbert's trying it to have it be a commentary on like chosen one oh definitely uh, yeah. stuff but it doesn't come through quite so clearly in this first one because it's set up and i've heard even though i read the second one didn't understand it that the second one is really all those themes and ideas really coming to fruition mm. so like dune the first book is sort of the setup for the ideas he actually wants to explore which is interesting and something worth considering when people realize like, oh this is just a good science fiction it's not it's not star wars in the fact that L- luke is the chosen one and is right. good and beats everyone you're not supposed <laughs> to think about like when the death star blows up like 300,000 people with office jobs also died you know <laughs> like in the in dune you are supposed to be thinking about that stuff mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty constantly that's sort of the i i would say the the difference this is not like a fun this book is not a fun adventure book i don't think i think it's like a fair criticism to be like it doesn't get across its point about it being a commentary about a chosen one clear and quick enough mm-hmm. uh and 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 does keep getting like lost in the because this book has a lot in common with like schlocky uh science fiction especially novels in this first of the half time. like it is just a this first half is very much a straightforward science fiction fantasy high political tech thriller almost yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's like a mystery and like a it really feels like I alluded to this earlier, but like the second half, or not even the 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 final quarter of the first half of this book feels like an entirely different novel mm-hmm. than what is originally being set up, and like that's cool. But I kind of wish it was just that other book the whole time, and I didn't have to like have all this other stuff at the beginning. So let's go through the rest of the stuff that's at the beginning. So we learn more about spice now; it's harvested with crazy cool. Uh, science fiction tech stuff so there's the ornithopters or thopters for short which are basically like helicopters uh and there are carryalls whose job is to take these huge spice harvesting facilities and pick them up and drop them off in the desert and the reason they need to be able to pick them up and drop them off is because of the sandworms yeah and it's crazy that's a big selling point of the novel and we are dozens of minutes into this podcast this is the first time we are mentioning sandworms yeah they're not really like a, as big a part of this book as somebody suggesting you do would have you think they are especially <laughs> in the first half and i think that's yeah. reflected in the this first half is almost entirely from the point of view of the off-world characters and the more they get incorporated oh. into the 
actual planet, like the fabric of the planet, they become yeah. more in tune and aware of the stuff of the actual planet. Because, like, the whole, I guess, in addition to, like, the intrigue, betrayal, houses fighting against each other plot, there's, like, the point of view that they are strangers on this planet and can't quite adjust or have a hard time adjusting to like what it means like the cultural value of water and how they talk to each other how the people who live on this planet talk to each other about it and how they see the sandworms where like from the characters who are trying to from the the people who are trying to extract the value from the planet the worms are just like a source of threat that need to be avoided and mitigated and are just something right. to be scared of. Same with the Fremen. Like, they're just a natural force out there in the desert, and we gotta deal with them so we can extract all this wealth from this planet. But, that changes as the book continues. But, the assassination thriller plot comes to fruition on one night, Dr. Yui brings down the shields, the Harkonnen and the Sardaukar disguised as Harkonnen soldiers come down on the planet. Uh, Duke Leto is paralyzed and captured by Yui. Paul and Jessica are kidnapped and are going to go get killed in the desert. But uh, Dr. Yui still wants to exact his revenge against the Harkonnens for forcing him to do all this because he's not happy about it. So he puts a fake tooth into Duke Leto's mouth um, that is filled with poison gas. And so the idea is when Baron Harkonnen is gloating over his capture of Leto, Leto will bite the tooth and release the poison gas and kill the Harkonnens. And his, in exchange for that, Yui will help Paul and Jessica escape into the desert. What a nice guy. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about that? Uh, no, but you know what we didn't say anything about? What? Duncan Idaho. Oh, there's Duncan Idaho. Uh, he's in the book. That's right. He's uh, <laughs> he's another warrior guy, and his he's role... He's not really in it. His, his role was to have a... create a pact with the House of Trades and the Fremen, which he sort of does, and then he helps Paul and Jessica escape, and then he dies. Yeah. He uh he he is part part. I just bring him up because he's really not important in, in, right now, except but for he's the so cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But his name is Duncan Idaho. Uh, well, he is my uh, prime example of you take any male first name in any United States state and you mash them together and you get a cool name. Johnny Utah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sweet, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Ricky Montana. <laughs> it works. I tell you it works. All right. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he, he does, uh, d- Yui, how does he know where Jessica and Paul are so that he can save them? Does you, did Yui tell him? How's that, how's that oh, work? Oh, he, so, so, Jessica and Paul get sleeping pills that Yui gives them, and so he gave them a strong one to knock them yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it's mentioned, like, Yui says, like, oh, hey, bad guys, you're going to go kill them in the desert. Use this ornithopter. And Yui has sort of, like, made it easier to escape from. He's put, but like, a survival does... pack in there. 
and Dun- loses one of the seatbelts. Duncan belts. Idaho finds them. And does he just did did he just do that by accident, or was that also I not part of the plan? Like Yui told him he was going to betray them, but I think Duncan Idaho did he just, just like stumble across them. Yui Yui helped Duncan escape from the Harkonnens. Oh, so he helped him. And too. so I think he helped him. Yeah. And so there's this big betrayal. The Harkonnens exterminate all the Atreides. They capture Thufir Hawat. Um, but Paul and Jessica escape into the desert, and Paul has a mental break. He sure does. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So in a moment where somebody might like go into shock, yeah, his Paul, father died. He's been yeah. He's been kicked. He's trying to survive. He's fighting for his life. Paul realizes like he can see the future. And not in like a way, not in like a vague way, <laughs> in like a, oh, there are two ways my life is going to turn out way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like a lot of the things leading up to that are vague. Like he can't say like what his mom is going to say next or anything like that. He just knows he's got two options mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, and uh, and he, he sort of instantly turns from this like... F- kind of annoying bratty 15 year old doofus into this cold like the conniving yeah yeah this this uh uh yeah like a cold conniving prophet and 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 it's importantly not the he because his mom asks him she's like hey level with me buddy are you the quits the quiz at hatteract and he's like mm-hmm. i am something far worse than that <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my God. Yeah, he like immediately becomes the chosen one, and like immediately yeah, it, like, has a plan of like what he's gonna do and how he's gonna do it and what's gonna happen. To use and the it's sort of, of our favorite author, he snaps. <laughs> no, <laughs> he no, does. he no. does snap. <laughs> um. And it's sort of, it's a confluence of he's exposed to this spice, which it's implied that sort of helps with this prescient power. Oh, is, that, is, that, is that real? I, I must have missed that. That's cool. It's Im- Yeah, that's implied. That becomes a bigger thing later on. That sure. may be a slight spoiler, but... Well, that's all right. Plus all this tr- Benny Gesserit training. And it was mentioned earlier that like he was being trained as a Mentat, too, do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I do so remember that. So he's had all this high-level training from, like, his father's men, sort of. Like, his mom arranged it because she thought he's, like, this chosen one for the Bene Gesserit. Plus, he has this training because he's, like, a going to be a duke in this empire one day. Plus, he had this super traumatic event on this planet with this chemical that maybe sort of helps you see some of the future and so it's sort of implied that all these things have come to fruition to like create this insane teenage boy yeah yeah and this for me is where i i really i was like all right now i really like this because i thought there's a moment where paul oh he paul also finds out that jess does he divine this from the future is that how it works is that uh Jessica Baron Harkonnen is Jessica's dad. Yes, he just he just like he just sort suddenly, of he just like, like figures oh. it out. <laughs> yeah, so so that means that you know Paul is the grandson of Bar- the evil Baron. Yeah, and also Jessica is pregnant, and she's like not showing, yeah. and she barely knows it, and he knows immediately. And so uh, there's this moment where Paul's like, okay, 
there's two things that can happen. I can either go confront my evil granddad. An exact, or, an exact revenge for my father's death. Yep. Or, and this is like a quote, this is sort of verbatim, but the big word in here is from the book, start a galaxy-wide jihad. <laughs> like a religious revolution. Yep. Um, and like, <laughs> hey, guy like me? Take your losses and, and leave. Start your life over. There's, there's a third option there, but I, I'm not, you know, I don't have that dog in me like Paul does, so. But he, uh, and, 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 you and know, he has an immediate plan for becoming emperor. He sure does. And he's like, hey, the emperor helped overthrow this house. If I get out of this and can prove it, I can blackmail him into making me emperor. And so yeah. that's his plan. And he, uh, you know, right away, I mean, like, Folks, there's a suddenly a prophet in the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're, uh, the stage is being set for Bo- a born, big scam. <laughs> born from the desert. <laughs> yes, literally born from the desert. Uh, so the stage is being set for a huge scam, uh, like a huge something really bad to happen. Uh, which I'm, which is not in this section, but is like so off, like the terrible foreshadowing of Paul being like, I'm sure this will all be fine. (laughs) No, it's not going to be fine. I think this stuff is, is really good because like this book is nothing really happens. And then suddenly a lot happens. And Hey, I know we spent three books saying how that's a bad thing. And that is a bad thing, but this is all set up and paid off in a way that is like makes thematic and and relevant sense to the story and the plot and plight of our characters. It's not just like suddenly a book is over and we need to wrap all the stuff up in twenty pages. That's yeah, not like what's this, going on. This first half is like space thriller, but then because of what happens there, our main character sort of transforms into this sort of horrible bringer of justice or something like you're sort of like holy justice jesus christ you know which is very different which i think is the reaction you're supposed to have which is very different from like yeah go paul (laughs) yeah yeah I, i can't imagine reading this book and having that that feeling about it there's a cool there are like weird moments here that that were really effective for me too were like Paul and his mother still find moments to like laugh with each other mm-hmm. and it just makes it all the more haunting that it's like oh my god and like, the, he yeah, is and, just a little boy but and they're surviving fuck, in the desert and like in a way you did not see them behaving with each other before because it was like these high stakes they're like royalty basically on this strange planet fearing assassination and betrayal from every corner but now that they're like surviving in the desert like they have a bit of a stronger relationship yeah they've they've lost everything and now have nothing to lose by like Mm -hmm. being you know mother and son and just having a normal relationship it's really sweet but it is also haunting because like you get the you know what's come i mean come on and every once in a while like paul does or says something and jessica's like oh like freaks out just like jesus (laughs) christ what have we created (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's pretty sweet Um, sweet. and that's sort of where we left them they're surviving in the desert trying to get uh i think to the fremen that's basically their plan to make it there they 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 catch up to kinds in duncan idaho yep and then um that secret base gets attacked uh and dr we don't know what happens to dr kinds 
and I guess we don't know what happens to Duncan Idaho either, but it is implied that at least Duncan Idaho is definitely dead for sure. Yep. But Paul and Jessica escape into a sandstorm. And as they fly into the storm, we have the Bene Gesserit litany against fear, which is the classic part of this book. Um, We'll drop the quote into the full quote in the description, but it's like a prayer basically uh, where they say fear is the mind killer and how you let the fear fear pass through you. It's awesome. (laughs) It is awesome. I did like that part a lot. Um, Oh, also when uh when did we already say this when Duke Duke Leto Leto uh, fails oh, yeah, in his right. attempt to kill the Baron and ends up just killing the weird creep Piter de Vries Piter de Vries um and through that sort of uh, throws a wrench into the Baron's plans and all we know is that the Baron puts a uh, professional wrestler Dave Batista in charge of Dune. <laughs> And then uh, uh, has who's, it set up so that... in-world in name is Beast Raban. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And then, um, <laughs> and then, uh, uh, just as a as a as pretty much the fall guy for when his super cool nephew Fade Routha gets to take over and be cool and in charge. And also, there's like a weird incestual pedophilic relationship, maybe between yeah. the two of them. If it was, if it wasn't obvious that the Baron Harkonnen was evil from you know. <laughs> Uh, trying to murder the good guys. Frank Herbert makes him incredibly fat, so you know he's even doubly evil. And then on yep. top of that, he makes him a gay pedophile. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. at the end of the chapter, she's like, bring yeah. me one of the boys to my spa. Yeah, it's not <laughs> Which great. Is, you know, problematic. <laughs> That's what I mean when it's like feels like, because there's like moments... <laughs> Where it feels like a, a white man wrote this in 1965, where it's like, <laughs> it's like stuff like that. And then, you know, let your, like, they keep more constantly being like, wow, Leto is really brave and like really kind. And then he's like constantly rude to his wife. And like, what the hell? And even like, there's like this weird plan where nobody trusts, uh, the lady Jessica and so the Duke is like oh I'll be cold and rude to her so that so that um like so that I also they don't like think we're colluding or whatever but he doesn't really like treat her any differently than he was treating her before and like and he we as the reader her. so he's just no, like why yeah. is my husband mean to me it's a weird it's, oh, a weird it's for part. your own good Jessica <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't understand well and then you know we can bring up the Dr. Yui is heavily coded as Asian and he's the yes. the sneaky betrayer. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And the there's a lot of which is so weird because it also then like handles a lot of like M- Middle Eastern, um, Arabic, and and is and is Islam as a religion, especially mm-hmm. with like it feels like very deft fingers. Like mm-hmm. there's not when we meet the Fremen, they're not like horrible racist stereotypes because right. like that's the point of the book is to be like hey pe- people can look different and be just you know just like everybody else but then it's like okay but we still have like <laughs> there's still problems with like the way dr yui is written and like the mm-hmm. way that uh le- like duke treats his wife i don't and know then you weird. could also talk about like the meta narrative of like what does it mean for a white man in the 60s to like co-opt parts of like arabic and islamic culture for his sci-fi book to like make a point about chosen ones or something but yeah. i think that's that sort of 
comes more to fruition later in the book. Um, and it's not, and you know, there's not a, I, I don't think it's, because you might start reading the book and you're like, why are some other, why is his name Paul? But then you think about like the Bible and you're like, their name is, his name is John. Like that's <laughs> why is because it's showing you like the European influence. It's showing you the reader, like the European influence on a, on a, on an Eastern culture, mm-hmm. on a eastern from the west perspective uh culture which is effective i think um and and as far as i know people gen gen generally think that's good and i haven't read the second half of this book so i'd be surprised if it really dropped the ball but and it's not yeah it's not using it just for the aesthetic like it's making a point like it's very much like the spice is oil and we we didn't bring this up too part of what kinds and the fremen are trying to do is like turn arrakis into a paradise you know yeah they're trying to make he's a a planetologist slash ecologist so they're like trying to make it a good place for humans to live so they don't have to constantly be you know so cutthroat about the water and everything but then when you meet them they're not they have their own culture like it's fine you don't need to fucking gentrify arrakis you know Mm. it's that's they like it there. That's where they live, which is all, all, uh, all good. I think. I don't think there's anything with that. That's like, no, I was stunned that nothing with the Fremen stuck out to me as like <laughs> really horrible, horribly racist. Yeah. yeah, I was very, I was very surprised about that. Unless I'm, unless you know, please, if you're listening to this, unless I totally missed something, um, I'm pretty sure it's all dealt with pretty deftly. And um, yeah, you made a good point. Like, none of this is just random. It, he didn't, like, like oh, these, like, vowel-consonant combinations found in, uh, like, Islamic cultures sound cool. I'm just mm-hmm. going to put them in my sci-fi book. Like, no, they're there for a reason. This is a book about, like, the most famous story of all time in our world from, you know, the most famous religious text of all time takes place in, you know, the real-life equivalent of this fantasy science fiction. Like, what the... It's what the... Uh, analogy is trying to be so it makes sense uh it is uh it is so this uh i'm gonna if you've you could say something now i'm gonna i'm about to change the subject and talk about something else if you had anything else to say about what we were talking about i think we're right on track just talking about the section as a whole um there are vet like vestigial parts of this book that i think just come with like frank herbert enjoyed reading you know science fiction novels he found for a dime in his local bookstore you know there are there are moments where it's like (laughs) i made this joke to you already danilo but it's like people have conversations sometimes in this book where it's like oh the constitution oh you mean that thing that's from the revolutionary war right the revolutionary (laughs) war oh that was when the uh they declared independence from england like that's how people talk and in this book sometimes worse. i was gonna note i noticed this more in the beginning it, oh, i think it got a lot better and more readable but like especially like the first chapter with the harkness like we're the bad guys and this is our plan yeah. right <laughs> yes that's our plan and then it's like then he thought how he would actually betray this plan later on you know yeah it's like, like it's very all this. Slack, like <laughs> yeah it's it's silly and and like it it almost feels like it's there to then be like oh it's actually an entirely different book um but it's still in the book it's still in the book you know you still have to read that part to get to the other part I, and i can't think of any examples but 
even while I was reading, there were like words and things they referred to that like I think was supposed to make it more immersive. Like there's this world with other things or ideas you don't understand, but it's like it's never relevant. You're like, huh? And that's the only time they mention it. And doesn't come back. Well, there's Does, I, yeah. Sorry, no. Go ahead. I said there's like, but a lot of the things like are useful and you need to know like shields or we haven't talked about this but laser guns which are oh, lasers yeah. that can cut through anything except shields if they connect with a shield there's an atomic explosion <laughs> and so yeah, it's pretty fucked up i think it's i think that science fictiony part is super cool the way he like make something and then make something else that balances it it's sort of more basic science fiction but like i yeah it's cool almost like how pointed it is like here's a shield that nothing can cut through and here's a laser that nothing can stop and when they meet there's a big explosion and sort of the characters and the military strategy have to like contend with that there's two there's two like of what you're just talking about they both one more than the other. I don't know if this becomes important later, but like Chome, like I don't give a fuck. Like this, so the Chome company. This does like this is for me one of my favorite parts of this book. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's sort of like the unseen backbone of all this conflict. So the Chome company is a company that has a monopoly on space travel specifically faster than light space travel well i thought that was the guild the the spacing guild and the chome company are the same thing oh are they yeah oh i thought they were different i thought the chome company controlled like the economic interest of the empire oh i'm totally wrong so yeah the spacing guild is the transport and chome is like the economic the the shipping company that uses the spacing guild i think that's why i got Well, you're not stupid because they're like, okay, so they pay a lot of money to the spacing guild to then bring all the armies down. But like, I thought that the every all the money had to go through this other organization, and it just brings up a lot of like, I don't care about the fucking Chome Company. Like, (laughs) unless it becomes vitally important, I don't think think, it needs to be in this prophecy book. Is in charge of the spice and selling the spice. But mm. the spacing guild is in charge of transport. And so Chome can't do anything unless it pays the spacing guild a ton of money to move stuff. That makes sense. There's a moment with the spacing guild where it's what I was saying before where uh, I just remembered this. Where Paul, Paul has been alive for 15 years and is still like, hey, how come nobody's ever seen them before? And it's like, why are you talking like this right now? You should know the answers to these questions. They're like mysterious or whatever. <laughs> And and the the idea is that spice is valuable because the Chome company sells it and makes a profit, and then the emperor has like stakes in the Chome company, and they see part of that profit. Like it's very space capitalism, yeah, space empire. You know, yep. we all know. And because the space and guild has a monopoly on space travel, they can basically charge whatever they want uh, to move armies. So they're like a neutral force of like, Hey, if the Harkonnens want to exterminate all their trades, yeah, we'll move your guys, but it's going to cost you a trillion dollars. 
because they're the only ones who can have. Is the guild robots? Are they like the only robots who are still around? I, we don't know what or who the guild is. I thought there was a moment where Baron Harkonnen says something about them that gives more information about them away, but I can't I, remember. I think it's implied that they are somehow not human anymore or perhaps mutated. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I do like that. Um, but it's, it's very funny, you know, it's like <laughs> all of the questions where you're like, hey, how come there's no guns or spaceships or isn't this a science fiction novel they're all sort of hand waved away <laughs> because it's really a fantasy novel about a chosen one hero on a... yes i was going to say like i noticed so much more like there's dukes priestesses swords <laughs> shields fiefs an emperor great houses yeah yeah it's all here there's all a the bible here. like it's all like <laughs> it's all takes place on one planet like they don't even go to different planets really yeah i know it's not it, yeah it can just be you just substitute the planets for like continents on the same planet and it's a science <laughs> and, and then the fucking spacing guild for like a boat i don't know company <laughs> it's the same there's no reason for this and, I, and i'm not saying like genre fiction needs to justify its genre but i mean there's no reason that <laughs> like it takes place ninety thousand years in the future it is more fantasy than i think people who say see oh this is science fiction uh think it yeah, is because like the that. backbone of this book is this like spiritual religious war coming out of this old feudal system <laughs> like yeah but it's but it's in space kind of yeah kind of some of it's in space so you mentioned when we started that you thought the first half was boring and the second half was awesome is there anything yeah. you wanted to say more about that part of it uh, just just that i think once paul um achieves like characterhood the book becomes a lot more interesting <laughs> because like there are there are glimpses of it where paul <laughs> like when paul meets dr kynes like he fulfills like a bunch of boxes that the chosen one will meet <laughs> at like one time and then uh there's like a couple other moments where that happens but once he's really like telling the future and and doing all this stuff i think the book the book really really picks up for me um i did so the, like we are two men correct but but women like are obviously an incredibly impor important part of this of this story mm -hmm. um the whole you know the benny Gesserit are a huge fucking part of dune and a huge part of this this story in particular um do you think that it's like a it's like a it is a commentary it's it, it's part of his commentary about the chosen one being like a, a white man or do you think it's like because it's uh, a 60s sci-fi book yeah i don't know because yeah. i would i think i tried to reread this book like in early college like right after i learned what feminism actually was i was like put, i was like really put off by it yeah in, in a way that you know college students are hypersensitive to that sort of thing sure um which doesn't which is not to say that i think that isn't in here like jessica is not married to duke leto she has she has the role of concubine because it is politically advantageous for Leto to remain unmarried, even though she can still produce an heir or whatever, you know. Um, she's the only female character in the book, really. There's like a yeah. servant uh, for like two oh, seconds right. who she dies. I forgot about her. Um, 
but I think it becomes more... We probably have a more pointed discussion about gender in the second half of the book when there are two more women. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. I think I know who they both are. (laughs) Yeah, Paul has Um, a love interest later on. And, you know, there's the the woman writing all of the uh, epigraphs. Oh, sorry, then I mean three women. There's (laughs) a... Yes. And part of it, like, you know, it can't not also be aware that, you know, this is a very Western European medieval oh, yeah, political sure. system. And the whole point of Paul's character is to have a religious holy war that dismantles it. You know, I'm sure it's aware of all that. It'll just be interesting to see how it's, you know, treated later on as someone who doesn't remember. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, for sure. I, I, I like to think that it's supposed to be a a commentary but you know that he does uh it's interesting to me that this book is like this was the other thing i was thinking about that we can talk about was it it's i think it's literally i think it's the dedication is literally like yeah i'm gonna quote this this is this is the dedication at the beginning of the book to the people whose labors go beyond ideas into the realm of real materials, to the dry land ecologists, wherever they may be and whatever time they work, this effort at prediction is dedicated in humility and admiration. Now that sounds like the book is really, really just going to be about ecology and like climate change. Mm-hmm. It is, it is like not, it is not like it is, but it is a lot more obsessed with at least right away, ignoring the the space thrillery stuff at the beginning, like when the themes start to come through, mm-hmm. more about prophecy and religion than it is about like deserts uh, are bad science. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'll, I'll be interested to see how that comes through because I know it it becomes more part of it, and part of the deal that Paul makes is like, if I'm the emperor, I can help you make Dune a paradise. You know. Right. And so that's how he sort of gets through to them. Oh, yeah, Dr. That's what he says to Dr. Kynes, Dr. Isn't it? Kynes, yeah. But, you know, they probably don't want that. And I think that uh, complicates things later because if Dune is a paradise, will there be more spice? Will there be more value to extract out of the desert? You know, who knows? But then does a. Is that saying, like, does a country only have, like, worth because it's like shitty to be there (laughs) or because it can be exploited for its right or like is the desert bad for humans to live in so it should all be green like it's it's a way like i don't know yeah it's a strange point to make it is like no one in our planet now is trying to make all the deserts into forests (laughs) (laughs) like the 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 dedication makes it seem like frank herbert (laughs) thinks that's what needs to happen with the world (laughs) yeah or like to avoid yeah that's a good that's so funny is this pre-climate change because this also could be like no our problem isn't that there's a lot of deserts our problem is that the world's getting hotter which i guess (laughs) will make things more of a desert or like also potentially like you know i think he's american did he grow up like during the dust bowl and like you know so i mean in a no way that's his name guy calendar in 1938 a man named guy calendar connected carbon dioxide increases in the earth's atmosphere to global warming oh crazy and and even before that in the late 1800s there was a paper about that so uh, he's had he had to be aware about this but it does 
it it does seem like like that is not i don't know i don't buy that that's the solution you know that paul's like oh we'll just make this place a bit different it's like no this place it's not as if unless is this like lore did dune used to not look like this i don't know because if it's always just been like this, like there's a difference between terraforming like Mars, the idea of, you know, making making oxygen breathable on Mars and, and turning it all into like lush forests and vegetation. So I wonder if the dedication is throwing us off. <laughs> Weirdly. Maybe. I'm reading the theme page of Dune on Spark Notes. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I think it says human control over ecology is a theme. And just one of the themes is raises questions about whether humans should exercise control over the ecology of their environment. So I wonder if it just... That could go either way. I know. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. I don't know what the book thinks about it. So I think that will come to fruition later. It just is interesting to me that... This book has always been pitched to me by fan- by fans of it as being like ecological science fiction, and none of that really comes through in the first half of this entire book. No, and I, I doubt mean, it's, it's there a little, through. but it's well, not there a lot. It's, it's it's probably a, a more of like a this is a five book series of insane space opera novels, and this is the first one. And I think you know a lot of people just read the first one, and it's I feel more or less a contained chosen one narrative. And then I think the more bigger themes of, like, humanity's role in planets in the universe, I think, happen later. Mm-hmm. And I think that must be part of it. Like, I can't imagine that the second part of this movie is going to have as much ecology as the second half of this book does. Because, <laughs> no. like, who's going to make a big budget action movie about, like, hmm, should we make this desert into a forest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know when when Timothy Chalamet's sitting behind, sitting with his assistant director and uh, assistant uh, screenwriter. I don't know if that's the decisions they're making. You know, maybe maybe they will have a huge. I mean, climate change is a hot topic. Maybe they like have that be a sub theme or something. No pun intended. It's, it's hot a hot topic. topic. <laughs> it, it is only recently an important topic. <laughs> I'd like to emphasize this. It has not been a threat up no. until this point. <laughs> no, just suddenly now we're all scared of it. Isn't that weird? Um, I mean, I, like, yeah, that's a, I, I don't know. Um, I, reading this, it's also hard to read it, you know. Sorry if you're listening to this and you're a fucking crazy person and you don't think climate change is real, but it is. <laughs> and uh, the... It's hard to. Um, it's interesting thinking about this book when it was written as to like now when we are staring down the barrel of the gun that we is the might be fighting up. over water. You know, right? Yeah, it, it it does change the. It makes me like it made me want to like keep looking for those bits a lot more than they are in the book, and I yeah. kind of keep catching myself from being like, okay, this this is not what this section is about. I have to stop trying to make this section be about that. And I think once I let go of that. And like I said about, you know, Paul achieving um, uh, his scary, scary prophecy brain, I did. It started to really click with me. Not that I wasn't enjoying it before. I just started enjoying it a lot more after. Nice. Yeah. What do you, you think is going to happen? Um, I think uh, Jessica's going to have this kid. Oh, I know there's a time skip. Okay. I know that. And so, child born. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Uh, Oh, oh, oh. So the two things I know about Dune as a story is that there's a time skip in this first one and that Paul is not the main character of the whole book series. Um, So I think Paul is going to 
<laughs> I think Paul is going to meet the big evil bad guy, both of them, the Emperor and the Baron. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to fall in love. Wow. Yeah. I don't think that it's going to end well, but I do no, think he'll oh, fall in love. I was gonna say, and, you think, and no one's going to die? You think it's just going to be they're going to talk it out? <laughs> oh, I think, I think L- Lady Jessica will die. Because of course, because she's the she she is the uh, main woman character of this novel, and so to further the character development of the male main character, she must die. <laughs> As it was written in the scrolls. Well, we shall see if uh, all that comes to fruition on the next episode of Hardcover Hooligans. Catch you later. Yes, yeah, see you later, Dunites, <laughs> Dunophiles, <laughs> Dun- <laughs> Dunologists. <laughs>